came anyway. Oh, look at that, everybody. Good job. All right, well, turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5. And we have been preaching through uh, the book of Isaiah at North Brooklyn Baptist Church. And I thought I'd bring some of that uh, with you here tonight in kind of a fresh way and give you sort of a three-chapter mashup of where we've been in the book of Isaiah. Now, when we do, uh, when we have the interpreter um, at North Brooklyn, uh, the Remigios come over once a month and they interpret. And uh, it's really fun because Miss Sonia is standing about right here. And uh, so we're like, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And uh, it's quite fun. Uh, we, it's really enjoyable. But I thank you to everybody that comes regularly and volunteers and helps. Those who can't, who are always praying for us, that are giving um, so that we can. Uh, there's been many a month. I mean, monthly, I should say, that we don't have the offerings to pay the bills in North Brooklyn. And it's because there's designations for North Brooklyn here that we are able to pay the bills every month. We thank God. And we're praying that that bill, that rent bill over there at 67 West Street is going to be gone in the next few months. Praise the Lord. 2400 bucks a month that we can put into that we can use a lot better than that. So uh, we thank the Lord. I also want to take the opportunity because I uh, don't get it often. I just want to say thank you to Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I mean, people are giving, people are praying, but also um, you've really lent to Pastor Montoro in a huge way. I mean, how many of you try to call the church lately and he ain't here? Because he's in Greenpoint. He's working on the building, 12-hour days. Uh, you would be proud of him uh, to see the insane amount of work that's been done. We're going to have a nice video up, uh, hopefully in a few weeks, on the church website so you can see that new roof and see the new moldings. And uh, We had someone fly a drone over the building so you can get a nice view of it. And uh, we've really, um, but it doesn't, the amount of focus he's had to get us this far, it's been incredible. And I know it's been at a huge cost here. Now, maybe you just don't even notice. You come in and everything looks right. You know, well, praise the Lord. That means everybody's doing their part. But I'm telling you, it's been a, it's been a lot of sacrifice. And I thank God for it. I want to thank him publicly, but also thank you for um, acknowledging he needs to be there so that this church can be doing what it needs to do. And uh, thank God. Thank God that there's unity in this. Um, I would have lost the building by now, I promise you, if it had been any other way. So thank the Lord for what he's doing. Okay. Well, we're in Isaiah, and our series at North Brooklyn is on Isaiah, and we're calling it On Eagle's Wings. How many of you know that verse, like the thing, that uh, chorus, you know, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings as eagles. Brother Mike, stop singing. You're here to preach. And uh, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now, coming from the Bible, that sounds like, you know, to the world, um, Mount up with wings, mount up on wings as eagles. We got that? Okay, good. Um, now, you tell the world, you tell them, well, the Bible says that God wants you to be up on eagle's wings, uh, to have a heavenly perspective on life, that when you're close and intimate with God, you can see things from an entirely different vantage point, and life begins to make sense up there when you're up on eagle's wings. And the world would say, oh, that's great, religious people, they're strange. But then they'll go pay thousands, if not millions of dollars to the self-help community who will tell them as an individual or their business to take time with your executive team, have a retreat, and get a 10,000-foot view of your business and your goals. The exact same thing that Isaiah says. Uh, a self-help guru will say it, and they'll go, wow, that's deep. Let's pay this guy millions. But it's because, it's you know, wisdom, the, Bible, the things aren't true. You, you, okay, when we look at the Bible, we say, well, that's true because it's in the Bible. 
Sure, but it's also because it's in, it's also true. Um, it, it, it's not just that it's true because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it is true. And there's kind of a different there's there's um, two different ways of looking at that. The Bible is a book of truth. Praise the Lord. And Isaiah's message um, or what Isaiah brings to the people in his time period is that 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 idea of being up on eagles wings to see the situation from the way God sees it, because the times were dark. There was invasion about eminent within the nation of Judah. Israel and Judah were separated at that time. Two different kingdoms. We're coming to the text. Don't worry. Uh, there are two different kingdoms. Israel is 10 years away from being annihilated by Assyria. Their doom is pretty much sealed. Now, before you think God's a mean, judgmental God, keep in mind, he spent 500 years sending prophets and judges and so on and so forth, his messengers, telling his people to get their act together and they would not listen. And you know the ups and downs of 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, and so on and so forth, and through the major and minor prophets, of all the times God had given them opportunity before this invasion. And Isaiah uh, is coming to, the, to a very difficult crowd with this same sort of message. Israel, the northern kingdom, is 10 years away from invasion, and Judah is about 30 years away from invasion. So they have just a little bit more time. And so they're really kind of on the edge of their seats wondering what's about to happen. From the north, there's coming uh, Assyria. And Assyria is expanding at a rapid rate. And they've pretty much all but encircled the northern kingdom at this point, And they are going to destroy them. The northern kingdom is trying to do whatever they can to stop this from happening. They've even gone into league with Syria. Now, not us, Syria. Syria, a different nation. And they're trying to get them to fight together with them. And they want Judah to fight, to get, to fight together with them as well. And God tells Isaiah to go to this people. Now, you may be familiar with Isaiah chapter 6. I can remember a few years ago, Jeff Copes being here from Oklahoma City and preaching on a Sunday morning here on Isaiah chapter 6. Some guy walked the aisle and got saved. I mean, it was a service. And uh, I'm like afraid to get near that text because I've heard so many good messages on, remember the year that King Uzziah died? I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. That's there in Isaiah chapter 6, probably on the other side of the page for you. And Isaiah gets this amazing, powerful vision. Of God. And he sees his glory. It veiled, but he still, I mean, he sees a lot more than most ever saw of God, of his glory, of the ser- seraphims, the heavenly uh, uh, angelic beings that are there with the, the six wings uh, creatures, and they're crying, Holy, holy, holy in chapter 6. And remember Isaiah's famous words that we use for the theme of many missions conferences when he says, Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. I mean, a divine calling. I mean, words that we probably all said to the Lord on the altar many times. Lord, I know I'm not much, especially around missions conference time. Lord, I know I don't have much to give you, but here am I, send me. Lord, I've seen your glory in your word. I've seen your glory through the preaching. I've seen your glory in my life. Here am I, send me. And remember, he, was, he said, I'm wicked and I'm done. And he, was, he confessed his sins and he was ready for service for God. But his calling gets quite bizarre because that's the mountain peak. I mean, I can remember being there many times in my life where I'm on the altar and I am all in for God. I am fully surrendered. I am. Come on, preacher. Let's go. Charge hell with a squirt gun. I am ready to to be in the fight. And uh, I'm, I, am, I hear my send me. Well, look at if you could turn to Isaiah six. Maybe it'd be better if we started there. Isaiah six. That's that's the beginning of Isaiah chapter six. He says in verse nine and he said, go and tell this people. Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Strange, huh? He continues, make the heart of this people fat 
Make their ears heavy. Shut their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but that almost sounds like God just told him, preach expecting them not to listen. Did you hear what, did you hear what he said there? He said, make them fat. Fill them up with your words. Preach morning, noon, and night. Everywhere you go, Isaiah, you're now going to be known as the preacher. You're going to be, when you, they see you coming around the street, they're going to say, oh, no, here comes Isaiah again. And he's going to tell us this, and he's going to tell us that. And particularly his message was that Assyria is coming. We need to get right with God. There's no stopping it. This, we are going to be overrun. The question is now, are we going to have faith and follow God through this time of difficulty? Or are we going to try to weasel our way out of it by making friends with the world? That, that's, that's essentially what the question was. And so he preaches that. He has that great mountain peak where he says, Lord, here am I, send me. And then God says, okay, go. But remember, you're going to a people that won't listen. Sometimes you preach to people that won't listen. And sometimes you're the person that won't listen. Those are the two types of people we want to, we want to learn about tonight. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity now to look into your word. Lord, we're here to hear. Lord, I thank God for everyone that is here tonight. But Lord, we know that there are times where we go through the religious motion. And Lord, we're really not as dedicated as we think we are. We're really not as far along the way as we think we are. We're oftentimes like Peter, saying that we're willing to die for you. And the next minute, in in the same day, we're denying you. Lord, I pray that tonight we would get back to that heavenly vision, that sanctuary. Lord, that Isaiah experienced, that we've experienced in our lives. Lord, we've seen your glory. Lord, I pray that it would revive us tonight, that it would help us to examine our own lives and and our place in your service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Isaiah's chapter 5, 6, and 7 are really all about what we just talked about in 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 our introduction. God makes a case, and something with Isaiah is it's full of poetry. Beautiful poetry at that. God makes the case over and over again to his people of how he's kind of wooing them. He's enticing them. He's bringing them in through Isaiah's words. Isaiah had to have been a good speaker. You understand the Apostle Paul was a bad speaker. He was known for not being a pulpiteer. Now, we read his words and we think, wow, incredible power. But he didn't experience that necessarily in the pulpit. He was a kind of an unsightly looking guy. We figure he's probably kind of short, uh, not the handsomest from the way he describes himself. He wasn't exactly known as a pulpiteer. Moses was the same way. I mean, God gave him Aaron to be his mouthpiece because Moses did not carry himself, carry himself well when it came to public speaking. But I think Isaiah didn't have that problem. I think when I see the content of his message, he must have been a man that could have preached pretty well. Uh, even though he comments on his own preaching style throughout the book, I think that there must have been something to it. Because these words are artsy, if you will. <laughs> They're poetic. They're powerfully crafted messages. He, in, back in chapter 5, uh, verse number 1, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved my well had a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. All through chapter 5, chapter, the beginning of chapter 5 is a song. And he's wooing his people and kind of in that Nathan style. Remember when Nathan came to David and told him about the man who had uh, stolen the lamb and, and he ends up saying, thou art the man. How that Nathan had kind of wooed David in with that story and David was saying, you know, getting so captivated by it that once he, once he said that he, you know, he killed the man to steal the guy's lamb, uh, that he says, well, who is this guy? Let's, 
let's get him, let's kill him. And he says, thou art the man. I mean, remember how he kind of drew David in like that, where he had David on the edge of his seat, and then he says, you're the guy. I mean, Isaiah had that way about him in his messages. Beautiful songs, powerful songs. Chapter 5, the song about my beloved's vineyard. He talks about how his beloved planted a vineyard on a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and he watered it, and he took care of it, and he set up a tower in the middle of it, and he did everything he could to make this vineyard grow. And the audience says, that's great. What a great story. And then he says, but the vineyard grew. He looked for, for grapes and behold, wild grapes. That what he was expecting to find in the vineyard is not what actually grew. That the vineyard literally rebelled against its husbandmen. And instead of being what the husbandmen desired the vineyard to be, allowed the thorns to come in, allowed things from without to come in, forgot the reason for the wall, forgot the reason for the tower and the watering and where they were, and ended up corrupting themselves. And it's as if Isaiah says to the nation, Thou art the man. You are the wild vineyard that the Lord speaks of. He's done everything for you. And then you've gone and turned around and produced the opposite of what he wanted. And so he speaks that to the nation in chapter number five. And then in chapter six, as we already mentioned in the introduction, God comes and speaks to Isaiah and gives him this beautiful heavenly vision, one that he was definitely going to need because he was going to be sent to a people that weren't going to hear his words. Wow, that's a that's a difficult task to take. In fact, he says later on in that chapter, in chapter number six, he says, um, that, um, oh yeah, verse 11 in chapter six, he says, then said I, Lord, how long Lord, you want me to go and preach to people that won't listen? You want me to do this hard task? How long am I supposed to do that? That'd be my first question. When is this over? And he said, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. You know where that fits in in the timeline? As long as he lived, as long as Isaiah lived. Just keep doing it. Just be my servant. Keep telling the people, yes, they won't listen. He says later in the chapter, there will be a remnant, a very few that will hear you, a very few that are going to go with you through this time of difficulty with this Assyrian invasion. They thought Assyria was their biggest problem. They didn't even have a clue that Babylon was getting all stirred up over there or the Chaldees area and that Babylon was going to be the one to come swallow both of them up. But they, they were focused on uh, Assyria at the time. And he says to go to preach the people who won't listen. And then this message is completely encapsulated in the life of Ahaz. That's what chapter 7 is all about, what we talked about this morning at North Brooklyn Baptist. Because Ahaz kind of represents the nation. He's the king of Judah at the time, and he's worried, and rightly so. He sees what's going on in Israel, and he's concerned. He's concerned for two reasons. Number one, he's concerned because... He doesn't want to join into league with Israel, the northern kingdom, because they're already in league with Syria. He doesn't want to join in with them because that means he's going to have to fight Assyria and he knows he will lose. <laughs> so he doesn't want to get into involved with with Israel because he knows that means he's going to have to go to war with them and he knows he's going to lose. So he doesn't want to do that. His second fear is that he doesn't join them and they end up overthrowing him because that's what chapter seven talks about. It talks about how. Uh, the king of Syria and the king of Israel are in league together to overthrow him. <laughs> they figure, well, let's overthrow him, set up a puppet king, and then that king will go with us into battle. So if you can't fight with Israel, uh, if you don't want to fight against Assyria and you can't fight with Israel, then what's the third option? And that is to cozy up to Assyria and then get them to not want to fight you. 
And apparently from the text, that's exactly what he intended on doing. He was going to wiggle his way out of this. I'm the king. I'm the exception. Yes, I know there's a big army coming down and is about to overrun us, but I'm different. Yes, I know all the kings that made mistakes like this before, that tried to cozy up to other nations and thought, oh, well, let's just give them this. Let's just let them have this amount of control over us. Let's sacrifice a little bit of our freedom so that we can have the security that we want. Sound familiar? And... uh, Let's just give them a little. Let's just give them a little bit of they want. It sounds like a U.S. foreign policy today. Uh, let's just give them. Let's just meet their demands so that they'll leave us alone. That's what that's what King Ahaz decided he was going to do. He was just going to give up in little areas, or what he thought was little areas, thinking that that would stay the wrath of Assyria. The problem is, we know now the end from the beginning that no matter how much he capitulated, Assyria was going to destroy them. They weren't going to like Rome. Rome would would. Uh, they would have control over the Jewish nation, but they would let the Jewish nation do whatever they wanted to do. They found it, it was easier to just let them have a certain amount of freedom than to try to take them over because they would rebel. Assyria wasn't that way. If they attacked you, you were done. Your nation, national identity was completely lost in the, nation, in the kingdom of Assyria. And so the nation of Assyria is bearing down on him, and he's trying to figure out a way out of this situation. God comes to Isaiah, and he tells him, I want you to go to the king of Israel, and uh, I want you to, excuse me, the king of Judah, and I want you to speak to him. Look at verse number three of chapter seven. Say, Pastor Mike, I didn't come here for a history lesson tonight. Don't worry. We're getting there. We're going to be at your front door real soon. I promise. Okay. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, verse three, go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and share Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, take heed, be quiet, fear not, fear not, neither be faint hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, the fierce anger of Razan with Syria and of the son Remaliah. So that's the king of Syria and the king of Israel. He's worried that they're about to overthrow him. He's got all of his attention focused on an inferior problem. He, he's not even thinking about Assyria. He's got all of his attention in the wrong place. He thinks that those two guys are his biggest problem. And he tells him to go out to the fuller's field. Now, I want you to imagine this with me. You have a man who is basically at the point of paranoia here, uh, very anxious about what's happening to him because he's either going to be overthrown by his own people or through a neighboring nation or he's going to be destroyed by an invading nation. And he has put all of his chips into the idea that he can stop the invading nation and he can hold off the people that want to overthrow him. So he tells him to go out to the fuller's field. Basically, he tells him to go out where the water supply enters the city of Jerusalem. Now, that's interesting because in his paranoia, he's trying to fortify Jerusalem, thinking that somehow he's going to be able to protect it. He's not going to be able to protect it. (laughs) But that's where his attention is. That's what he's focused on. And so he's out there and Isaiah and God tells Isaiah, go out there and I want you to talk to this man. Now, Isaiah is a prophet, right? That's like his business. That's what that's that's in his job description. You go out and you talk to the king. But remember what he told him in Isaiah chapter 6. He said, you're going to talk to a nation that's not going to hear you. So he goes out there. Miss Pam already heard this sermon this morning, so God bless you, Miss Pam. And uh, he, he go, tells him to go out there in chapter number 7 to this man. And he must have it in his head, the words that God had given him, that there's a possibility this guy isn't going to hear a word he has to say. So he goes out there to him and, um, and speaks to him. And he says in verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, 
It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Assyria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Raisin, and within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. Now, so he's reasoning with him, saying, there is no getting out of this. You need to turn from your wicked ways, put your faith and trust in God completely. The future is uncertain on that path. But if you rebel against him, then the future is very certain. You're going to be destroyed. That's the message he gives to him. He says, trust in God, have faith in God. Even though the time seems dark, even though it seems like there's no way you can win, there's more hope there than in just trusting in yourself, turning from God, and putting your hope in Assyria. That's the message he gives to him. And he says in, verse, in the end of verse number 9, If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. God's word to him was, stand with God, or you're not going to stand at all. Stand with God, have faith in him, or you will not stand at all. Trust in him as king now, or you will never be king again. That was his message uh, from the prophet to the king Ahaz. But catch this, verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Did you, did you hear that? God just told a man, a man who doesn't even really want to hear what God has to say, a man who's really already got it made up in his mind what he's going to do, and the prophet coming is basically a formality. He comes to this man and says, Ask of me a sign. Do you notice there that God had told him, say, thus saith the Lord? This is coming straight from God. You ask a sign, whether it's in the height or the depth, whatever you want. If you want God to write it in the sky, if you want some sort of Moses, Egyptian miracle, you want flies and frogs and all that, you can have it. You ask for a sign that I'm telling you the truth, and God will give it to you. That's powerful, huh? How many of you have ever asked God for a sign, right? You've thrown out your fleece saying, God, show me something. Right? Well, now you have the opposite. You have a guy, you have God telling a man, I'll give you a sign if you'll just ask for it. And listen to the man's response. And he said, verse 12, But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. That's his way of saying, I've already made up my mind. Isaiah, go back with your little raiment. I'm the king. I'm going to make my own decisions. I already know what I'm going to do. And he, told, he turned, basically turned Isaiah around and told him to go home. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Ahaz was the person who was in the position God wanted them to him to be in. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He had all the blessings of God, and he even had the messenger of God standing right there in front of him, offering him every sign he needed of the truth. But he already had it made up in his mind what he was going to do. And such are some of us. Because sometimes we hear week after week of preaching, we'll even come to the pastor and say, Pastor, pray for me about this. And he will. Pastor, I want the praying that this will I pray that, that I can have this, pray that I can do this, pray for this this situation here. I'm not talking about your health problems and all that. I'm talking about when you want God's will, something for your life. And we're saying, oh, and then pastor, you know, he'd probably come at you, you know, him or any pastor would come at you and say, well, you know, if you're praying about that, maybe you should start coming on Sunday night or maybe you should, uh, you know, come, come for Bible study and maybe you should come out on visitation and share your faith a bit or something like that. Well, well pastor, I, I want you to pray for what I prayed about, but 
You know, I kind of got my own thing going on, and the way I do that, you know, and it's like we're saying, you know, thanks for the sign, but I already know what I'm going to do. <laughs> we have it completely made up in our mind what we're going to do. And we, it, 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 it gives us the capacity to hear powerful sermons, and boy, we hear some good ones around here. Whether from our pastor, from we have all these great guest speakers that come in. We, uh, it seems like every month we're having fantastic missionaries come in or evangelists come in and preach. And it gives us the capacity when we're in this sort of state, like Ahaz was, to sit there and listen to God's servant, basically offering us up everything we could ever want, the life that we know we want. And it gives us the capacity to be able to walk away from it and say, I've already got my mind made up. I already know who I'm going to be. I already know what I'm going to do. Thank you very much. I agree with what you say. I hope everybody in here listens and does something with that. But I'm going to be me, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Sometimes we can all be an Ahaz sometimes. Now, I don't know everybody's life in here, and this is where application gets tricky. But is it possible tonight that God has pricked your heart, and you say, you know what? There's something right there that Pastor Mike is talking about that, and there's something that... In my life, I know God wants me to surrender. And maybe, maybe it was recently or maybe it was a long time ago, but you made up your mind. You made up your mind. I'm not going to be involved in church in that way. I'm not going to be one of those religious crazies that, that does all that. God, I am going to give you my, I'm going to give you your tip every week, but you are not going to have a tithe. We can't afford it. I'm not going to do it. You can just turn around. But he's offering you a sign. He says, we'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. That's nice. Why don't you just keep the sign and I'll keep the tithe. Thank you very much. And we get Ahaz in our, in our head, don't we? And we start to get that sort of mentality. If a king of Israel could do it, a uh, king of Judah could do it, trust me, you can do it. But that's the, because that's the way we all are. It's reflecting not only the nation, but it's reflecting ourselves. And he says in verse number 14, Therefore the Lord himself... Okay, yeah, hang on. Before I read verse 14, don't read it, don't read it, don't look, don't look. Go back to 13. And he said, Hear ye now, house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Okay. So Ahaz won't hear. So now it's time for the prophet to turn it up. He's not going to, Ahaz isn't going to listen. So he's going to preach to Ahaz and now to the whole nation. And he's going to say something to them that in our ears in 2016 is going to make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. We're gonna, when I read this first, you're going you're to be thinking about cinnamon, uh, lattes, and um, you know, the smell of Christmas trees and snow under your feet, uh, under your boots and all that. Uh, it's, uh, you're, you're going to love it because it's a Christmas verse. It's a verse we read every Christmas, right? Let's read it together. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land of thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Say, Pastor Mike, why is Isaiah given a Christmas verse in the middle of all this? Well, it says, therefore, it's there. The therefore is therefore uh, because of what the context of this passage is. Isaiah is a man that couldn't choose the good thing that was right in front of him. He couldn't choose the good way that God was offering to him. God was offering him prosperity. He wasn't offering him a way out of the, of the coming destruction. That was going to happen. You understand? 
If God saves you tonight, if you're involved in addiction, for example, if you're involved, if you're, let's just say you're an alcoholic, and I don't know if anybody in here is an alcoholic, but if you're an alcoholic and you walk the aisle and you repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God will save your eternal soul, but you're still an alcoholic. Now, you don't have to let that define you anymore. You're a child of God, and he wants to help you out of that, but you're still going to have withdrawals the first day you stop drinking. You're still going to, in other words, the consequences of sin will still be there. There will still be a fight. It will still be a struggle. The only difference is now your spirit is made alive and you have a great comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help you in the Word of God and your church family to help you in that journey. But it's still going to be a battle. It's still going to be tough. God says to Isaiah, what God is saying through Isaiah to Ahaz is this. He says, now remember, he had asked for a sign. He offered a sign, right? A clear, tangible, in-your-face no, make no mistakes about it, sign to the king. King said, no thanks. So instead, God gave him sort of a confusing sign, a sign that's muddled, a sign that doesn't make sense to him. And he says, one day, Emmanuel is coming. God is going to be with us, and Emmanuel is going to live in such a way where he's going to have choices in his life too, just like you do, Ahaz. Remember Jesus in the pinnacle of the temple? Satan offering him all the world. He rebukes him with scripture. He offers him power. He rebukes him with scripture. Uh, he's, in the, he's in the temple with his family and his family leaves. He's still there. He says, I must be about my father's business. And he's, and he's there in the temple. He's making choices in his life. He talks about Emmanuel at a young age making choices. He says, Emmanuel's going to come. And when Emmanuel lives on this earth, he's going to show you how to choose the good things that are right in front of you that God is trying to give you. Hey, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm going to use my words carefully here because the, the deity of Christ and the, and the humanity of Christ all mixed together there, it's, it's a deep thing. I mean, the Gethsemane is a place you don't walk into carefully. It, you take your shoes off, it's holy ground there. But in the Garden of the Gethsemane, fully God, he sweat as it were great drops of blood in agony of the decision that was going to have to be made when he would choose to lay his life down. Did you know he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free? But he died alone for you and me, the hymn says. Hey, I don't, Ahaz's decision here, I don't want to make light of it. I don't want to make him seem like it was some sort of nincompoop that couldn't understand, you know, the simple choice that was before him because it's not always that easy. The pressures were real and he had the lives of his nation to think about. But God made it as clear as God could make it. And in the end, he chose his own way over God's. Jesus Christ, when he was in Gethsemane, he had a choice to make, and he chose to die for our sins. That's, that's what the prophet says to him. He says, Emmanuel's going to come, and he's going to show you how to make the right choice. And he's going to be the example, maybe not for you, Ahaz, because you're going to be dead and gone, but for people like you and like me, Jesus is going to live a perfect life, and he's going to show us what it is to follow God in faith, knowing that it may even cost you your own life, but knowing that there's going to be power in the resurrection, and knowing that there is a future for those that wait upon the Lord, that they're going to mount up with wings as eagles, that they're going to run. They're going to run. Oh, man, we got to run? I don't like running. God says you're going to be able to run, but you're not going to be weary. You're going to walk. And you're not going to faint. That's what God is trying to say to his people. Wait on me. This is going to get hard. I wish I could tell you tonight. Let's see, what time is it? You know, it wouldn't have been hard for you tonight. You know, man, I wanted to watch the debate. I wanted to watch the Giants win. They're going to win. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, whatever it is. But wait on the Lord. Wait on him. Run. Run for him. 
Run up the scaffolding 40 feet in the air. Run to church on Sunday night. Run out on visitation. But you won't be weary. You're going to walk. You're going to walk in raising those kids. You're going to walk in dealing with that spouse that is driving you crazy. You're going to walk in dealing with, uh, with the people in the church. Hey, it's not always perfect in here. We're people, right? I mean, we're rubbing together. There's going to be friction there, when there's problems. Walk and not faint. What he's telling Ahaz, what he's telling to that nation, he's the same thing he's saying today. Trust in me. Have faith in me. But can I ask you tonight, is that a decision that you can make for yourself? Or are you already set in your ways? You've already said, God, this is how much of my life you can have. No more. This is my red line, God. You can't go any further than right here. God, you can have this, but you cannot have this. You can have my time at church, but don't you touch my pocketbook. <laughs> See, Isaiah had it, Ahaz had it all figured out. I can tell you that in my journey here at Open Door Bible Baptist, I want to thank you for letting me have the journey, um, if you will, because it's maybe a little more on display than others uh, being a pastor. But probably you've seen in, in our lives, but we have definitely learned the need to, where we have our own plans and then God changes your plans. You know what I mean? Where you have your plans and then something bad comes in, whether it's of God or not. And not every attack in our life is the devil, okay? Uh, and so um, sometimes we have problems in life, and our plans just seem to go sideways. And everything we thought was going to happen, and then we find ourselves like Ahaz, and we're out there, you know, like, wow, how did it come to this? How, how are we in this sort of situation now? And not really knowing where to go. And I want to thank you for allowing us to kind of go through those ups and downs in our lives. But I have learned through those ups and downs that there's always little signs. <laughs> there's always little signs of hope. There's always little signs of hope, not necessarily that everything's going to be all right, but that God's going to be with us, that God knows the future. We've had pastors call us and try to give us comfort, and we've hung up the phone more discouraged than when we started. <laughs> we've had people try to be nice. We've, you know, we've had some, some things like that. And, man, it almost like, but we have seen those signs from God. We have seen those, and we've, we've, we're learning. We're still learning. I am 31 years young, and I've got a lot, lot still to learn. That we can trust in him. That dark days are coming, maybe for our nation, although I'm hopeful. I, I want God to bless America, and he still can. I don't want to be doom and gloom about that, but something's happening, right? I mean, the current out there in the nation, ask anyone on the sidewalk, something's happening. Something's happening, and we don't know what. We don't know immediately what the future holds, but we know who we can trust. We can either have our own plans about how we're going to do things, or we can trust in the Lord. Don't be an Ahaz tonight. Don't be someone who says, in your mind, you've got it all figured out, and you said, this is how it's going to be. Surrender to God. Say, well, Pastor Mike, I did that. You know, I went to the altar. I said, God, here's my life. Do it again. <laughs> in fact, don't just do it here. Do it at home. Do it at home every day. Every day, that's the thing about Christianity. It's, it's a renewing sort of thing. Okay? It, it's, when you're feeling down, you can get renewed, refreshed. You can go back to like Isaiah did. How many times do you think he went back to that experience in the temple? How many times he went back to when he saw the seraphims and he, how many times do you think those words echoed in his ears? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How many times do you think that the burning in his eyes from the, the glow of the God's glory, how many times he went back to that and when he was preaching to those people for all of his days to preach people that wouldn't listen with some of the best sermons you've ever heard that he was preaching, eloquent, beautiful, uh, enticing, trying to draw people in and they wouldn't hear what he had to say. What kept him going? He went back to where he had seen God, Isaiah chapter 6. 
He went back where he had that vision. I heard Brother Brent Givens, a church planner that I believe our church here has helped uh, several different times in New Orleans. And um, I heard him preach on that psalm where it talks about, uh, I can't remember the number, but where uh, he's, he, the psalmist comes to God and he says, you know, I'm upset with you because the wicked are prospering. And, I, you know, it seems like the more I serve God, the more I go behind and the more people fight against you, the more they seem to get ahead. We've all felt like that, right? <laughs> and then the psalmist, what he says is, then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I understood their end. And I remember Brent Given so eloquently saying that when you're in the sanctuary, that's when you find God's perspective. Ever feel like the world's gone mad and you walk back in here and you're like, oh yeah, God's got a plan. Oh yeah, I'm not the only person trying to serve God. Oh yeah, there's health, there's healing, there's renewing, there's strength. Oh, my Bible, they let me take these home. I can read that anytime I want. How great is that? I can pray anytime I want. Don't have to be... Man, isn't that great? That's that renewing strength going into the sanctuary. It's the eagle's wings, the 30,000 foot, 10,000 foot perspective. When you get up above it all, you say, oh... Now I see what's going on. Now it makes sense. Now I have a little clearer picture. Now I can see things a little bit more like God sees things. That's the sanctuary. That's where Isaiah lived. That's how he was able to get through what was going on. Ahaz didn't live that way. He was completely focused on his plans, his ideas. He was nowhere near eagle's wings. He was down on the ground, not following God. Can I encourage you tonight? And this is our conclusion. Don't be an Ahaz. Follow the Lord. You say, well, things seem dark. I agree. I agree. But you can trust in him. We're not the first people to face difficult days. Our, our, 2016, the world's like it's never been before. It, that's, it's that way every year. <laughs> okay? I, I'm not trying to belittle our problems, but uh, you know, every year is different than, it was, than the year before, right? But what, with the, with the pattern, what go, follow, follows through time, the thread that goes through time, is people who trusted in God no matter what the circumstances. And we have our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, to look to. That when he saw the cross, he saw beyond it. He saw the power of the resurrection. He saw what God was going to do. Be like that tonight, I pray. Let's bow for a word of prayer.